Welcome to ACME Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences. And the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Right. Well, now that you're all warmed. Um... <laughs> I, uh, I'm suffering from a little bit of a cold. So I'm sorry you're going to hear noises coming from my body that ordinarily I just wouldn't allow Is out. that that strange low just, bassy rumble? That it's that, that, that low bassy rumble. Right. Every now and then you might get a... Yeah. Just a little, just a little thing like that. Uh, so that's when this show goes wrong. Uh, but when TV goes wrong, now the original, when we originally pitched this, it was actually called "When TV Goes Mad," and it was, I think, changed because it's probably just really. It's, well, there's, there's there's a political correctness issue with when TV goes mad, because mad implies insanity, which implies mental illness, which makes people with mental illness. Uh, who are very sensitive about these issues. Not all of them, just the ones who are very sensitive uh, get a little bit more sensitive and then they go, ah, you can't say mad. Whereas by so, mad, we meant more kind of crazy ape bonkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. A little bit, a little bit nuts, a little bit... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty much our premise. So the idea is we want to look at television... Uh, we're not looking at television that's actually bad from the beginning. The idea is more to look at television that somehow went off the rails, perhaps, or went astray, or did things we weren't expecting it to do, um, or occasionally just hid in a corner and cried. We'll be playing some of that as well. I think that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it, really? Yeah, uh, there's, like, just say a TV show started, and when it started it was all perfectly normal, and then slowly it sounded like war was starting in the background. <laughs> like a crazy low-pitched rumble. Yeah, just imagine it's like that. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's pretty much what we're talking about. What we're also not talking about, we're not really talking about jumping the shark, which I'm sure you all know the expression jumping the shark, which is, um, it was actually coined apparently by John Hine. It's, it's got an actual name behind it, who uh, wrote a website of the same name. And jumping the shark basically means when a show is running out of ideas towards the end and gets a bit desperate and tries to put in a new kind of gimmick or a, you know, um, it's named after an episode of Happy Days. And uh, we're not talking about it, so here's a clip of it now. So there's some so, famous shark jumping moments. And, and I, think, I think what we can learn from, uh, from all of that is that Cousin Oliver was a jinx. He was a jinx. Uh, yeah. He was a ratings jinx and uh, then turned out to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. So that all worked out for him. Uh, and Bobby Ewing was Fonzie all along. <laughs> so that makes um, sense. I think also it should also reveal that basically this is just two strangers playing you YouTube clips for the evening. Uh, there, there, will be a, there, will be, there will be some very poor quality video as we, in, in every conceivable way as we continue. There's lots of, I think that's a person. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're not talking about jumping the shark because that's a certain understandable thing when tiredness comes in. We're talking about something else which I like to actually call adding a vampire. So... <laughs> And to start us off with adding a vampire, we have actually two soap operas we can look at. Um, the first one is Dark Shadows, which... Uh, uh, has, anyone, has anyone heard of Tim Burton? Tim Button? But, uh, but, Batron? Batron. Tim, Tim Batron's Batron? film? Yeah. But there's, he, made, he made a film... Actually, a has anyone seen the Dark Shadows film? Yeah. Okay, just you. Um, has, <laughs> has anyone seen the Dark Shadows TV show? So Dark Shadows, it's, look, it's a soap opera. Um, I'll, I'll read the, the definition actually from Wikipedia. Dark Shadows is an American Gothic soap opera originally aired weekdays on the ABC television network in the US from June 27, 66 to April 2nd, 71. The story Bible, which was written by Art Wallace, does not mention any supernatural elements. It was unprecedented in daytime television when ghosts were introduced about six months after it began. <laughs> which I kind of like, they, they, they do play down. It was never Neighbours, though. It was actually, um, one of the characters hasn't left her house for 20 years. Uh, and the whole show was inspired by a dream. So it's sort of... Uh, hang on, hang on. Yeah. An actual dream. An actual dream. Not like a Dallas dream. No, no. Dan Curtis, who created it, had a dream about a girl on a, on a train and decided to pitch that as a soap opera. And they said yes. Wow. I know. 
I wish you could do that now. Well, um, Dan, Dan Pettis, because that, that's so relevant to later on. Yeah. Yeah. No spoilers. So basically, it, it was a soap opera. It, it tooted along. Um, it started going a bit weird, but it really took off a year after it started when Barnabas Collins was introduced, played by Jonathan Freed. Now, Barnabas Collins was a vampire, clearly, and it's how the show became really famous. We'll show you a clip now. This you is say clearly. clearly. You say clearly, clearly like his name just said, you know. yeah, vampire. Yeah, I mean, what? Barnabas. What, what, what says vampire more than Barnabas? <laughs> uh, either that or like, you know, um, cartoon dog. <laughs> so, this I is the first appearance by Barnabas Collins in Dark Shadows. <laughs> but, but John, that, that, that was the guy that picked... That was, he, he was in the... That was... He was... <laughs> yeah. See, the music knew he was scary. Um, <laughs> Dark Shadows, oh, again, I think it's from Wikipedia. That's, also, that's actually a really good reveal. I like that. Yeah, it also featured werewolves, zombies, man-made monsters, witches, warlocks, time travel, and a parallel universe. Ooh. Yeah. Um, the Parallel Universe, actually, turns out also at one point they, uh, they actually went off to make a, a spin-off film from it. And because the actors would be in the spin-off film, they just put a completely new cast into the TV show for like, like eight weeks and said, it's a parallel universe! <laughs> Which is awesome! You, could just, <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't get away with that now. Like, it's not like DC could just put in a whole lot of... <laughs> Uh, that was just this is a comic nerd gag, isn't it? Yeah, this is the audience there. But the thing is, though, you, know, you might think adding a vampire is obviously desperate, it's, it's going wrong. It actually took off and it became huge. It was a, a truly popular show, it won its time slot. And it turned out one of the reasons why it was so popular was because it appealed to teenagers. It was on in the afternoon. It was at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central. And when they came home, the mothers would be busy. Actually, it says, mothers usually away from the television set uh, tending to household chores and preparing the family's dinner because, obviously, Wikipedia is very sexist. And... Well, there's, that's a whole other... It is. There's a thing about it. And, yeah, and, and so, so basically, teenagers were watching this and it became this huge uh, pop culture youth event. There are conventions now... Uh, Dark Shadows conventions where people go from all over the United States to one particular spot uh, where they all talk about Dark Shadows, which disturbs me, and I love television a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, of course, like Tim Butron made that film. Yeah, yeah, he made that, he made that film with... Uh, which, which that guy saw. With that guy from, uh, <laughs> from 21 Jump Street. Really, they could have come to your house, Ben, couldn't they? Just acted it out. It would have been cheaper. <laughs> um, so, Peter DeLuise. So that's, look, that, that's one way of going wrong. That, that's... that's one example of adding a vampire. There is, there is another slightly more homegrown soap opera that also added vampires. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about Chances. Oh, love Chances. If you were in a share house in the 90s, you used to watch this. Um, chances ran on Channel 9 from 1991 to 1991. No, no, to, to 1992. Uh, it, was, it was a soap opera that started off normal, went mental. Um, no, no. Well, it's, it's, it was, originally it was about a family who won the lotto. That was, it was about a family who wins $3 million, but clearly that's a boring concept for a TV series, and that would never last on Channel 9. Well, you know what would make, you know what would make that better? What? Jeremy Sims' ass. Yeah, well, this thing, at the beginning, Jeremy Sims' ass had a very small part to play. And, <laughs> and look, I'm going to show you, there's actually, weird enough, we think of there being two chances. One is the first one, which was about the family winning lotto. Which was, it was not, it was not very good. It was not very good. It, it was, was it was, it was, a family wins the lotto and they go, hooray, it's not going to change us. And then it and changes, changes them. Oh. <laughs> the second one we tend to think of is the one where the vampires were running the casino and that character was pregnant with the Antichrist. <laughs> Clearly a much better soap opera all around. It does turn out though there is an intermediate step. We'll show you in a second, but first what I want to do is I'm going to play you one of the, the early ads for Chances back when it was... A fairly boring. straightforward, Bo- yeah, boring. boring, boring. And Jeremy Sims' ass did not it was appear. Severely lacking in vampires. It, it, it so was, yeah. wasn't it? it really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really so was. have a look at this. So apart from John, the... what, what is he going to do with that three and a half inch floppy disk? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's my favourite bit of the ad. <laughs> oh, look, old computers. Uh, so yeah, that clearly not a terribly fascinating series. Um, the show went on. It changed. Uh, it, it, it did go, you know, quite increasingly mental, and. I was looking for a clip to show to demonstrate the second version of Chances, and uh, apart from the DVDs, of course, which I couldn't be bothered ripping. Um, <laughs> but, you, but you brought them. I brought them. They're in my bag. I meant to put them here. Um, I, I found this clip online. There's not, not a lot of clips online, but someone has uh, lovingly, I, I, I use that word alarmingly, has, <laughs> has lovingly taken all the scenes where Kate Langbrook appears and takes her shirt off and just edited those. They've, <laughs> they've taken the bits out in between the scenes. It doesn't make any sense. 
Uh, so I'm going to play you a clip now. If you're, uh, I, should, I should warn you though, if you are offended by tits, Kate Langbrook, or Kate Langbrook's tits, you do want to <laughs> look away just for a minute or so. This is an example of the, the second version of Chances. Also a bad acting, did you? Oh, no, that, that, that's expected. That's, all right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that's comparatively so that, that less con- crazy. That was contextual. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Completely contextual. Yeah. Okay. Now this is the thing. A lot of a lot of the other shows I'm going to show you. We don't know why they went mad. We don't know what happened. We don't know where the wheels fell off. This one, weirdly, we do because uh, writer and journalist John Blum uh, kindly sent us the raw audio from an interview he did a few years back with Lynn Bayanis, who was effectively the showrunner on chances. Well, we don't have showrunners. We, don't really... we, we call them either head writers or executive producers depending yeah. on the show. She, and... she was more a kind of producer at the time, but she was sort of in charge of it. And it turns out there are actually three versions of chances. The first one is the family wins lotto. Then that wasn't rating very well, so Lynn was told by Nine to put as much nudity into it as possible. So she says there's like a second version of it, which apparently is, is pretty much a tacky soap opera. That's a soap opera just with tits ahoy. And that's, they moved it from It moved slightly later. So it actually went to 9.30. So a little bit earlier. So 9.30. Then it was being shifted to 10.30. And at this point, Lynn and the team realised they were making a soap opera they didn't like, uh, that it was just a tacky, nudie soap opera. They went out for lunch to discuss what they should do, and they all got incredibly drunk. <laughs> and over lunch, I'm paraphrasing a little here, but this is, yeah... <laughs> But um, over lunch, they decided if there were going to be a late-night show, they should be a late-night show, and they should really push it. So they decided to bring in a story about someone trying to get immortality, and God would appear in a library, because it was clearly that kind of lunch. <laughs> and she mentions in the interview, and I'm sorry, we can't play it just because the, the sound quality is it's not really terribly listenable, but um, she, she mentions that the idea was that it then got pushed to this degree that the nudity actually made sense. Like, it became part of the texture of chances, <laughs> rather than being tacked on. Because because the people, because the characters in Chances were so out of this world that nudity was a part of their life. So, well, so it's like like that scene where just as punctuation she takes off her top. <laughs> that's that's pretty much that's just how they communicated. Much like Ants communicate too. with their little things. <laughs> and Chances just, communicates with breasts. Yeah. Um, Later on, Abigail got introduced to the show, too, as a sex, a sex therapist called Bambi Shoot. I'm sorry, this is all coming back to me. Um, <laughs> Abigail played a sex therapist called Bambi Shoot, who had her own sex program within the program that had its own opening credits, which involved naked women <laughs> covered in strawberries. Um, astonishing show. Uh, we, we also asked Everett DeRoche, who was one of the writers on the show. Uh, you probably, he's written on everything, but you mostly remember from writing Patrick, the, um, the Osploitation film that Tarantino revealed he ripped off some of Kill Bill from. Tarantino ripped stuff off? Yeah, who would have thought? Um... <laughs> Everett couldn't make it tonight, but he sent this email saying that um, he remembers the switch to the supernatural. He said, I remembered Lynn and Gwenda coming into writers' meetings with books on satanic nuns and such. I remember the writers thinking, somebody stop us. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much what the show did. It also, which it maybe isn't quite so obvious from that clip, it did have a really good sense of humour. It actually had a deliberate sense of humour. There's a bit where uh, a guy mentions to Jeremy Sims that he doesn't seem surprised at his plans to get immortality. And Jeremy Sims says, oh, I work in advertising. And, <laughs> and there's a great scene where this vampire is showing them around a house. We played this at the, one of the science fiction conventions we yes. talked at. And um, he's, they're bringing up the spooky house and he's, such a, you know, he's going, oh, come to my lovely house. And they're going, oh, what's that noise? Goes, That's the bats in the roof. Pink bats, I'm having them installed. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's almost like they didn't care. (laughs) I think. I think. Well, in the interview, and Lynn Baynes died a couple of years ago, but she she just says that uh, they actually explored big issues. That was their idea. They were looking at at death and love and life through the prism of a kind of trashy late night breast laden soap opera. And this is this, I think, a, a really important point. Nobody sets out to make a terrible show. Nobody sets out to make a show that is going to go completely berserko. Yeah, uh, yeah. to use that's the politically correct that is, term. That is the term. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, and so because yeah, no one set out to make chances, the chances we remember is not the show they wanted to make. Yeah, nobody set out to make chances. It just yeah, sort of happened. Yeah, 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 just kind of just Kerry Packer. So the question though, then, yeah. then, so because we're talking about things going wrong, and then in that case, it's going. I mean, 
Dark Shadows went wrong in a way that it ran for five years. It had 1,225 episodes, which is more than Doctor Who or, or, or all Star Treks put together. Um, the only thing that beats it is the paranormal soap opera Passions, <laughs> which it clearly inspired. Um, it was Passions started that way, also, is my understanding. Yeah, and, and also I think without, for example, Dark Shadows becoming what it became, we probably wouldn't have Twin Peaks, we wouldn't have American Horror Story, so there's good and bad. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's American Horror Story is fine for awful. what it is. It's um, fine for what it is, which is trashy horror. And, uh, and Dark Shadows is weird enough, we were talking about DVDs, you can get Chances on DVD. You don't get the first version of Chances, you get the second version. It starts from like episode 1,000. Um, you can actually get an entire box set, too, of um, Dark Shadows. It's 131 DVDs in 22 individual cases with the spines looking upward to show the entire body of Barnabas lying asleep in his coffin. Oh. <laughs> Now I really want that. I know, I so want that. I just don't have a thousand years. (laughs) So what do you think? I mean, is it it gone wrong? Wrong in a good way, wrong in a bad way? What's your... Uh, I'm thinking, is there another slide here? No, it's that one. Oh, this one. Yeah, hi. Uh, I think there's a little bit of both there. I think with with Dark Shadows, that is going wrong in a good way. That That is finding an audience, finding a purpose... And and conti- continuing on in in the original style. I mean, it is still very much a soap opera in its original style. Yes. It just yeah, has yeah. vampires in it. Yeah. Chances finds an audience, but not an audience in a, an actual way. Not not a uh, not an honest audience. It finds uh, it, it it kind of finds a, an ironic. University student yeah, audience, yeah, yeah. Where, where they start watching it late at night and then talk about it the next day. Did you see Chances? How great was it? Oh my god, it was ridiculous. There were Nazi vampires. They're running a nightclub. Woo! Yeah, peeling off my nuts. So <laughs> <laughs> people said in university. Yeah, did they? yeah totally. Yeah. Peeling uh, off my nuts. Our youth. Uh, the, and I, I think that's I think that's a bad way when people. E- even though the show is still being watched, I mean, it's not being watched by as many people mm-hmm. as as they would like, when, when people aren't watching it with the same intention that the people making it have... But weren't the people making it at that point making it for that? And you're saying there are secret hidden messages about love and death. Apparently. And... <laughs> according, yes. to Lynn, according to pre-recorded Lynn Bayness, there is. I don't know oh. that. Where's, where's resurrected Lynn Bayness now? I know, to... yeah. Mm. Where's zombie Lynn Bayness to let us know? Uh, so, what does that bring us to? That brings us to... Actors getting replaced. Now, this is a soap opera tradition. It is. It is. We, we, and we, in fact, uh, this happened in Chances too. And this is the story. Look, story. This I was told by a member of the crew of Chances. I have no idea if it's true or not. So here it is. Um, one of the one of the actors in Chances uh, lived on a houseboat because he was cool, and that's what people did in '90s soap operas when they were cool. Or, or in. Uh, 80s, because Riptide lived on a houseboat, and he was nude an awful lot of the time, and he got replaced, and the story I got told was that he actually developed a nervous skin condition, because he was just feeling so terrible about being nude all the time. Oh. Came out in a full body rash, and I went, oh, it's a shame, you're fired. Bring in the next guy! <laughs> Wheel in the next nude guy! Nude hives? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just a nude dude lining up outside. Right. That's how it works in that's soap how, operas. That's, and that's acting. <laughs> so, so sometimes TV goes wrong because, as it says in the Bible, the show must go on. And sometimes this means that the actors need to be replaced while the character themselves live on because not all actors are vampires like Barnabas. A- an actual vampire. Yeah. yeah, yeah actual yeah. vampire. Yeah. So the most obvious of these, of course... Oh, I forgot the... Oh, the, the, the invasion replacement people. Yeah, remember yeah. we did that joke? Yeah, 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 move on. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> totally planned all of this. <laughs> Most obvious is, of course, Darren Stevens in, in, in Bewitched. Now, uh, Dick York was... Dick York. Uh, was the original Darren, and I like to think of him as the better Darren. But he wasn't the first choice for Darren. Not, not a lot of people know this. And York played the role for five and a bit seasons. I almost fell over because of the cold. Yeah. Uh, and then in 1969, he was suffering from a back injury that was affecting him so badly that there are some episodes towards the end of his run 
where he's actually just performing in a bed or lying down on a couch. And they had to write in reasons for Darren to, oh, it's some horrible spell. But, oh. you know, yeah. It, That's sad. It, it is kind of sad. That's a sad story. So then and they he, fired him. <laughs> well, no, he developed, he developed a, a, a terrible fever. He got some kind of infection, mm. developed a horrible fever, was in a hospital, and one of the producers said, well, it's your call. What do you want to do? And he went, what I want to do is not the show anymore. <laughs> so the producers offered the role to Dick Sargent, who is... In colour. In colour, because uh, he's clearly younger. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. aftershot or something. <laughs> uh, Dick Sargent actually originally turned down the role in 1964, where they went for what they thought was second Dick, Dick York, uh, came back to first Dick, Dick Sargent, who now has the role. And so this time he said yes, and the audience showed their appreciation for him actually finally coming to the role by switching off their televisions. (laughs) Ratings went down, and the show still lasted another three seasons, but... I think everybody in the world will agree that it was just never as good. But was that his fault, though? Or is this just that the show was ailing at this point? Well, both. Okay. But I like to blame him. Because as as a child watching repeats of of Bewitched, all I knew was that New Darren was there and the show wasn't as good anymore. Okay. Uh, Because I was also a very astute young person. (laughs) And quite bitchy from the sound of it. Yeah, (laughs) really. Now... The Darren Darren was replaced uh, very quietly. The audience wasn't told why. It kind of happened quite suddenly. And this was referenced in the cold open to an episode of Roseanne where the whole family is sitting around watching television. They're watching an episode of Bewitched. And Roseanne says, Hey, uh, isn't it weird how just one day they replaced Darren with another Darren and they never mentioned it and never said a thing about it. <laughs> and then the, televi- the television, the camera panned all the way over to the right to reveal Sarah Chalk <laughs> had replaced Lisa Goranson as Becky. <laughs> so Lisa Goranson went to college. Her role of Becky was given to Sarah Chalk in season six. Uh, Lisa actually went to college in season five. They had her on the phone a little bit and, and some, some extra shots. Season six, they wanted to keep the character, replaced her with Sarah Chalk. Uh, Sarah Chalk was then later replaced by Lisa Goranson in season eight, who was then later replaced in season nine by Sarah Chalk. <laughs> To be fair, though, I think, I think that whole ninth season of Roseanne deserves its own university course. I, does, that, does anybody remember it? It was... Yeah. So, John, uh, you weren't, I haven't you weren't seen a, it. No, a fan. No. So, that's the season where the Connors won the lottery. There's a lot of lottery winning in this season. <laughs> they win the lottery. Dan has an affair, and it turns, up, it turn, turns out that... Uh, the whole thing was Roseanne writing a story about all of this because it's the only way that she could cope with Dan having had a heart attack and dying. The whole season? The whole season! Wow. <laughs> yeah, the whole, well, not a dream, a made-up story. Different. <laughs> <sighs> and then there's soap. So, so we, we keep coming back to soap, which always goes... People in Home and Away. Uh, soap relies on longevity, the characters, blah, 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 whatever. Pippa uh, in Home and Away. This change happened because Vanessa Downing really liked working with the guy who played Tom. And he left the show. Uh, who remembers how Tom died? Anyone? Car crash, right. Had a stroke in the car, crashed the car. So wow. that's really... that's really. They so don't want him back, do they? And, uh, chainsawed his body yeah, up. yeah. yeah. Through bits all over the but country. There's, there's that famous story about if producers really hate you, they give you a death that you cannot possibly come back from. No. Um, and and uh, Sliders has a famous story about... Um, and I'm sorry, I'm just throwing this no, in no, there. But I've forgotten his name. Um, something Reese davies Is John Reese? John Reese davies um, He was in Sliders, and they... Eventually, his character... He argued so much with the producers that his character got uh, abandoned on a planet, had his brain wiped, was then shot... And the planet exploded. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, wow, they really, really don't want you back. <laughs> What's amazing is they would find a way. Like yeah, if, oh, yeah, they, yeah. They, if they needed to. They, yeah, would, yeah. They, yeah. They, would, they would really find a way. In Home and Away, of course, if, if they think they might want your character back later, where do you go? Queensland? The city. 
Oh, the city. Neighbours is Queensland. Neighbours is Queensland. But, but in Neighbours, that's just euphemism for death. Yeah. It's like, a, I'm afraid your kitten's gone to Queensland. Mm. Uh, but it's not, it's not the city, it's the city in, in Home and Away. Uh, so then uh, she was replaced by Deborah Lawrence, who then uh, played uh, Pippa through another marriage uh, and then another death of, of a partner. Uh, so clearly, Black Widow. <laughs> Uh, Ellie Ewing in Dallas. Uh, Ellie Ewing was originally played by Barbara Bel Geddes. Uh, she was kind of the matriarch of, of the Ewing family and was replaced by uh, Donna Reed for one series. And no one's really sure why, or I just couldn't find it in my research, but it was in uh, Donna Reed's contract that she would have her name in large letters beneath every time she appeared. That's... <laughs> Possible to find a shot of her in the show without that. <laughs> that, sh- that joke was better than that. Shut up. It's, it's, it's a pseudo after room talk. It, it really is. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. And then Neighbours. This, this is a really kind of interesting and weird one. So Carolyn Gilmer played Cheryl Stark in. Cheryl. Sorry, I've written Cheryl. It's clearly Cheryl. Uh, Cheryl Stark in Neighbours. And this is a, a, long, uh, a long run that she had. She was quite ill for a few weeks, but. Uh, the illness came quite suddenly. Her character was still written into episodes, so they needed to put a replacement in for her, just for those episodes that she was ill for. So who are you going to get? You're going to get another ex-prisoner yeah. cast member, Colette Mann. But so Colette Mann's just in it for that period of Just illness. for that period. And playing then, the same character, though. She's not someone's... No, no, she's playing Cheryl Stark. Right. She's, she's appearing as Cheryl Stark. It's like, it's like having a standby or whatever it's well, called it's in theatre. But in theatre, that's weird because they, they would make a little announcement going, tonight they're all Cheryl Stark in the play by. Uh, yeah, or it would be in your programme. Whereas I don't remember my programme having this in it when I was watching yeah. Neighbours. Oh. Did you, you used to get the programmes, didn't you? And sit I, down with them, I, did, I didn't get the programmes, but I had Barry Crocker telling me what was going to happen oh, in the episode. Nice. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was fine. Uh, so those are, those are some, some ways that you generally see characters get replaced. Often it's because someone's sick. Uh, and they just move through to, to someone else. That's kind of understandable. It's when TV goes a little bit, a little bit wrong, and that's only wrong from the point of view of the audience. The but writers that, still intend for it to be the same person. But that's interesting, though, as, as going wrong, in particular, I think, Cheryl Stark, for example, because this is assuming that, as an audience, we're intelligent enough to be able to, to go with this, though, yes. isn't it? I mean, that's actually quite, it's it's, quite flattering to an audience to go, yeah, it's a completely different person, but we reckon you'll be fine with it, you know. See, I always Whereas when I watched Breakers and they, they, changed, they changed the son uh, in one of them and yeah. every time the mother walked in we'd go, it's clearly not your son! <laughs> Can't you see? It's a replicant of some kind. A very poorly made one who doesn't look like him. <laughs> um, that's if the actors were paying attention to Breakers as much as you were, John. I know. Yeah, and yeah. and, and cle- clearly they weren't. The... I want to get Breakers on 122 discs. <laughs> that, that form the shape of Reuben, the world's only Jewish Aboriginal. <laughs> he was also a sandwich. He was, oh, it was a great show. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of, I get that. And yes, it is, it is quite a sophisticated idea for an audience to, who gets used to, uh, gets used to the way a character looks and suddenly they, they look different, except in, in your case. My favourite, my favourite example of TV going wrong, or in this case... Uh, is Chuck in Happy Days. Now, Chuck in Happy Days was played by two different people. He was originally played by uh, Gavin O'Hurley. Actually, his name, that is not a character from The Man of Two Brains. <laughs> uh, Gavin O'Hurley and then uh, Randolph Roberts, uh, in order, as, as you see them. Chuck, for those people who don't remember, was Richie's older brother. Richie had an older brother who loved basketball, often would just answer questions by bouncing a basketball. In fact, here you can see Chuck getting a Christmas present that is a basketball wrapped up. That's all he did. All he did was basketball stuff. It was all about basketball. Two different people played Chuck. Chuck does not appear past series one of Happy Days. (laughs) Past series two of Happy Days... They fail to even ever mention that Richie is not the older brother. So Chuck just disappears, and suddenly Richie is the oldest of two children. 
that is TV going absolutely crazy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. This is, I think that's maybe when Happy Days jumped the shark. When the, way, when the brother disappeared. When, and... when Chuck disappeared, because he was the heart and soul. When Tom yeah. Bosley buried his son in that shallow grave out the back of the and house. No, and nobody and nobody <laughs> no one ever mentioned yeah. it. Oh. <laughs> when, when everyone believed that Potsy was a name. So I've now changed my mind. This is actually the producers assuming we're stupid and will not notice anything. Yes, but to be fair, that's Gary Marshall and he assumes a lot of people are stupid. Okay, right. No, fair point. Remember Mork and Mindy? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be coming back to replacement people later on in the show, but uh, now let's just try another uh, example, another um, a TV show we can look at. Uh, before we talked about So Chances and Dark Shadows, are two shows that both made sense, both in the original premise and as the thing that became, in a way. They both could work on either of those. But what if TV is just way more cynical about it and sets out to make a successful show? And what if that show is called Super Train? Now... <laughs> oh, wait. Sorry. No yet. Imagine... I I train thing. Imagine it's 1979. Imagine harder. Thank you. It's 1979, you're running NBC, which is the plucky American network that could, but usually didn't, always coming the bridesmaid to ABC and CBS. The only show NBC had that troubled the top ten was Little House on the Prairie, and even that was Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) They need something that's going to be writing this juggernaut that'll grab viewers and shake them back and forth like a television Pomeranian. So... (laughs) They have the choice of coming up with a fresh new show full of exciting characters, arresting storylines, brilliant dialogue and uh, dynamic themes, or they could just rip off the love boat and put it on a train. (laughs) I think you know where I'm going with this. (laughs) On Wednesday, the 7th of February, 1979, NBC debuted their much-publicised and much-expensive new show. Knowing they needed to grip viewers from the outset, the show opens with the most exciting thing you can imagine, a board meeting! Uh, (laughs) But not just any board meeting. This is one in which uh, Sir Whisker's exposition explains the premise of the show to a collection of non-speaking extras. Let's look at that now. And so with uh, only a title card that says 22 months later to keep that momentum going, the show is away. Now, every week, Super Train would start a new journey with guest passengers joining the established crew for a series of parallel running plots that was new and exciting to anyone who'd never seen The Love Boat or Fantasy Island. (laughs) But neither of those shows took place, of course, on a train. A super train. <laughs> Let's see the... Uh... It's an Olicacine fur. What took you so long, huh? <laughs> Looking for a magazine with avocados in it. That's what they eat in California, you know. He's so grumpy. It's like he's on the run for the mob or something. Oh, no, hang on, he is. So, John, so can I interrupt you there? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, clearly Carol Channing was doing the love boat that week. <laughs> so they had to get, I can't believe it's not Carol Channing. Actually, I, I should make sure to do, I, I love in that clip, there's, um, you can hear the people have been dubbed in in the corridor. One of them's going, let's go there. Yeah, I'd like to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier on, when, uh, when Sir Whiskers un- unveils the thing, one of them goes, it's so real. It's so real. <laughs> So Supertrain had everything, like we can see. It had a gym, a piano lounge, a hospital, girls in silver hot pants, and even a gift store. But the most impressive element was the combined disco and swimming pool. Uh, viewers of a certain persuasion may have noticed it bore an incredible resemblance to the Continental Bars, the infamous New York gay sauna, which had closed down the year earlier. But Look at how still that water was. <laughs> it's well, the train. They're not going yet. They oh. haven't started. Oh. They've got to check out the girls in the hot pants first. Swimming pool discos do not come cheap, of course. And the, and the reason we're looking at this partly is because Super Train was the most expensive TV show ever made at the time. Uh, the sets and models alone were rumoured to cost anything between 5 and $10 million. 
There's a, a piece we're playing now, which is from the NBC Today program. It's clearly intended as a puff piece to promote the new show, but you'll notice through it, everyone is constantly paranoid about how much money NBC is spending, and it's the one thing they keep coming back to. And just, just, I just did some quick calculations yeah, yeah. as well. So, uh, $5 million, $6 million, that's $11 million. Uh, the $11 million back then yeah, yeah, yeah. is now... Eight billion dollars now. Wow, that, off the top of your head. Yeah, that's incredible. I just that's <laughs> taking into yeah, CPI yeah. and exchange rates and and and, and such. Do- risk, Deutschmark. Because as, as the guy is saying, you know, it, it could be off air in as little as tw- 11, eleven weeks. Yeah. Nine episodes went to air. <laughs> uh, and NBC's desperation can be seen not only in drastically changing the cast halfway through that run. But in what must be the only occurrence of this on television, in those nine episodes, there are three different theme tunes. <laughs> this is one of them. <laughs> Wait, to be fair, all the theme tunes are fantastic. But... Uh, now, this is Fred Silverman. He was the head of NBC when Supertrain was broadcast. In 2008, he was asked about the experience and about Supertrain. And he said in this interview, it was a good idea then, it's still a good idea. It was just a great idea that was terribly executed. So we had a set that cost $10 million to build. You could have built a railroad station. The shows were just lousy. What, what is he? I don't, what, I don't, what it's very vague. Say? I think if you read it's between the lines, I don't think he was sub, that happy sub, about sub, it. Subtle, subtle. Um, Many online sources claim the failure of Supertrain left NBC uh, in, in close to bankruptcy because um, this was combined then by their heavy investment in the 1980 Olympics, which the US didn't turn up for. Um, uh, Fred Silverman says... Which is, so that's another Simpsons reference. Krusty uh, <laughs> yeah. Burger, yeah, yeah. spitting every six burger. But, but no, like but there, there, was, there was a worry at the time. Fred Silverman in that same interview says, the fact is it was a show that didn't work. They made it sound like the second coming, that the failure meant the RCA building was going to fall down. It didn't happen. We ended up losing five or six million dollars on it. The stories are blown out of proportion. Actually, also in that interview, this bit amazes me. Uh, there was another show that failed at the time. Another dog called 96. It was a very sexy Australian serial we did an American version of that also met the same fate. So there is an American version of number 96 out there somewhere. Uh, was never syndicated in the US. Apart from a screening of the part in Lifetime in the late 80s, it was never repeated. Uh, it aired in some international markets, one of which the Caribbean Superstation provides the VHS recordings you can now find and ignore on YouTube. So Supertrain is, is TV going wrong in a very specific way. This is TV going wrong from, from the top down. Someone had to look at this script and say, yes, I'm going to invest money in that. Because also, I can't even see... Look, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but the concept of a love boat set on a train just seems terrible. You know, it but just from, seems... From the, from the original... But put yourself in NBC's shoes. So you're desperate. You're desperate for something wonderful, something amazing. Uh, let's actually, let's move it forward about 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And say you're not NBC, but you're ABC, who's now now third in, uh, in in the ratings, and you're desperate for something. And somebody says, "Well, I know. What about a bunch of plane crash survivors on a magical island?" Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Now, Supertrain could have been the lost of its time. Unfortunately, though, nobody could, could it though, Josh? Well, nobody, could it? nobody picked up Supertrain and went. I know exactly what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to make it amazing. No, everybody just went, I'm going to try to do the love button on a train. I think because the only version of Supertrain I can say that would work would be maybe if you were looking at uh, trying to run uh, a rail line in the current day or all the machinations behind. But then again, that's a completely different show to, to the one that Supertrain was clearly wanting to be. It's, it's not even clear what it was wanting to be because it, it comes, right, everything about it was saying it's the most expensive TV show ever. Not it's the most ambitious, not it's the most amazing. So the only thing that people could actually say about it was how much money was spent. Not even the cast is, is any good. Robert Alder, who's that? Alan Alder's dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and there was the guy that played the granddad in 16 Candles, and there was a guy who directed an episode of The L Word 28 years later. <laughs> 
It's a big known cast. Huge, That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm cast. saying. <laughs> huge cast. So you know, it's it is TV that went wrong from the start. Yeah, it, 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 was, was, it never, was doomed from. But it, again, the guy who created it, the guy who which Dan Curtis, who's. Is that the same guy who did uh, Dark Shadows? No, 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 Dan Curtis Dark Shadows. This was uh, the Fred Silverman, wasn't it? Where, where no, Fred Silverman you've, you've was head of, head of NBC. It's, I'm going to go back a few slides. No, don't. Indulge me. No, no, it's, it's okay. So we'll go back to from, 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 from. Some months ago, I was contacted by the federal... Dan Department Curtis. So this is a man who's clearly just obsessed with trains. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's what we've learned. Dan Curtis is obsessed with trains. Dan Curtis is obsessed with trains. He started one show because he had a dream about a woman on a train. That turned into a show about vampires. Vampires would have saved Super Train. <laughs> if you're stuck, if you're yeah, stuck if you're on a train yeah, for 36 yeah. hours with vampires, yeah. if, it, if it was a train and the lights went out so it's a train of constant night, yeah. for 36 hours... You've got to you've got to escape the vampires. Yeah, vampire like the, death train. Right. Yeah, the only I would place like you that. can the only place you can escape is the pool because vampires are scared of water. Running water, they'd be R- fine in pools. Ah, uh, what about? Sorry, did I nerd out there? <laughs> <laughs> Way to punch a hole in my super train Sorry. theory. But but yeah, so I think yeah, super train. Well, yeah, that's never going to work. But from the undead to a different kind of dead. Well, this is this is really. I mean, this is the unexpected, the completely unexpected. <sighs> when a person in a TV show actually dies. Like the actor. When the actor, the actor actually not, dies. Not, not when the writers kill off a character, when the actor actually dies. Like, remember a, a, a number of years ago, uh, seven years ago or something, John Ritter uh, sadly uh, passed away. Very, very talented actor, great, great work. At the time he was on the, uh, you'll all remember, the uh, amazing TV show, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter. Uh, which was just a masterpiece, I think. I can't uh, even tell you're being sarcastic or not anymore. I'm being sarcastic. Oh, good. You need to do this when you're doing it, so I know. Oh, a Simple Rules, just fantastic. It's a great show. That, yeah, 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 calm it, it down. It feels a bit unnatural. <laughs> okay, well, go on. Uh, anyway, so, so you all know about that, so we're not going to show you a clip from that. What we... It, it, well, it is surprisingly... It's surprising, it happens surprisingly often, which I guess maybe, you know, it shouldn't, because death happens all the time. But, I mean, uh, Coach died... Um, in, in Cheers. In Cheers. His name was actually Coach. He's much like Woody, because Woody replaced him. Yes, Woody replaced Woody, him. Woody, and Woody was Woody's real first name. Coach was actually Coach's. Um, a big one is in the West sorry, Wing. Sorry, Coach was actually Coach's of course. real um, first name. In the West Wing, the character of Leo McGarry, who was played by John Spencer Blue's Explosion. No, 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 he, no, what, what? no, no, not, not Explosion. Not Blue's Explosion. Not Blue. Not Blue's Explosion. Sorry. Who was played by uh, Leo McGarry, who was played by John Spencer, not Blue's Explosion. No, 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 no. No, that's wrong. Okay. John Spencer, not Blue's Explosion, that's wrong. Was um, he, when he died, they, they had to, of course, rewrite the whole script around him. Um, but he was kind of absent for about five episodes. He was running for, for vice president in the storyline. Uh, they then have someone find the body. It was like this. Yeah. This Josh is correctly doing, oh my God, Leo's dead. Don't look too closely. Yeah, it was... Um, it was just legs sticking out from behind a desk. It was really... But, but this happens quite often, and when it happens, the Americans do a quite interesting thing. But before we get to that, do you want to show a more practical? Because you've just spoken yeah, the practical so, way of hiding bodies. So, yeah. So this, <laughs> that sounds this, wrong. <laughs> it's a practical way of hiding bodies. Uh, the Sopranos, one of my favourite shows of all time. Uh, Nancy Marchand, who uh, played uh, Livia Soprano, uh, passed away at the end of Series 2. She was Tony Soprano's mother... Very important character in the uh, in the first two seasons. The the whole first two seasons are basically about Tony, his relationship to, to his mother, and the band that was playing nearby. And <laughs> uh, the and, and so this was all set. And Nancy Martin, actor from a long time ago, did some great work. They knew when they started the show that she had cancer, and she she passed away after the end of uh, of recording the, the second season. So they knew that they were coming back to a third season where she wasn't going to be available to act. Absolutely not available to act. Uh, in the first episode, she's still alive. She's referred to, but she's not actually seen. seen. And then in the second episode, they gave us this. They took footage from previous episodes of The Sopranos 
And is someone crying? Because it's sad. Is that, it, they, they, so they took footage from previous episodes of The Sopranos of Nancy Marchant and then CGI'd her head onto a single body and spent heaps and heaps and heaps of money. And yet it's a terrible scene. It is like a, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible... There's like it's, no reason for that it's scene. It's disjointed, really it's weird. It, it feels like they've got a Nancy Marchant machine and they're pressing buttons to make her say random things throughout yeah. the, you know... And as it adds, it also adds very little to, to that episode. And I remember David Chase at the time saying, oh, you're not going to be able to notice. Like, it's so smooth. <laughs> They've done such a great job. You're not going to be able to notice. Yeah, if you never look at her hair or the light or the floating head on a body, <laughs> it's, it's really... There's, there's a great bit later on in this season where they use CGI so... So perfectly, uh, but that that wasn't it. That's it's, it's, it seems like a practical way well, though, it, to deal with it. It's also an odd thing because it's so not what the Americans do. What the Americans generally do in these situations, and we saw this in the West Wing, we saw this in. Co- uh, in um, just sort of did in, the link. Yeah, yeah, go on. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, oh, Leo, stay away from the camera. Um, <laughs> you're. What, what they normally do is they'll do an episode which is uh, a memorial episode about the dead character. The character, like if an actor dies, usually they'll kill the character and then they don't replace them, which is funny. We'll see them replace people all over the place for any other reason, but if mm. they die, they tend to let the character die and they write an episode which is clearly meant also as a memorial to the actor. Um, and, and the Leo McGarry storyline did that very much. Uh, they did an episode in Cheers. What I want to play is, is this is a clip from uh, News Radio. Now, News Radio... Um, had a death that happened between seasons. So, can I, just yeah. before we go to news radio, I, I, something just struck me about the the West Wing thing hmm. is that they did the Leo McGarry thing. Oh, Leo's dead. Oh, what a shame. Everyone's sad. Wow, wow, wow. He was going to be vice president. Yeah. Uh, and but they'd already blown their emotional load with killing a character who hadn't actually, like the actor hadn't actually died with Mrs. Mrs. Lanningham. Lanningham. That was, so, that was a couple of years earlier, though. But, yeah, they, they but had... This, that, but it's funny, because the Mrs. Lanningham episode, if you watch it now, you assume the actor is dead, because it's the kind of thing that they do in American mm. shows. But it's actually quite a shock when she shows up in later episodes in flashback scenes and, and things like that. It's a real surprise. Um, but I want to show you... So this is... Phil Hartman was murdered in between seasons of News Radio. And uh, in 1998, September 23rd, this was the first episode of season five. It only went to air a couple months after he died. It would have been written pretty much in the aftermath of him yeah. being dead. This is a good example, two scenes here, to show you the kind of thing Americans tend to do. So that's a traditional American approach to the subject when things go wrong in death. Um, we're I, right, we're I think the lesson... The time, so I'm going to skip this. The, go on. Uh, <laughs> the, the lesson that we learned from that is if you're aiming for Andy Dick, make sure you aim properly. <laughs> aim with the head. Yeah. Um, we, I was going to play you a clip from uh, English and Australian shows don't tend to do it so much. Usually characters will just disappear and not be referred to again or they've moved to Queensland or it's just not kind of addressed. I was going to play a clip from Frontline, which is an interesting example, because in between seasons, uh, Bruno Lawrence, who played Brian Tomo Thompson, the producer in Series 1, gets, uh, he, he died of lung cancer. So when they come back for Series 2, in a much more bleak and cynical way, um, his character gets fired and is not allowed to see the characters ever again. And the characters talk about standing by him and all quitting in, in solidarity, but don't. And they talk about organising dinner with him um, and then don't. Which is, and that's, that's a really Australian way of, of dealing with, well, like dealing with death generally, uh, is just kind of glossing over it. But, but also, uh, but, but also on, on television, we just don't mention it. I think though we would also find it a little tacky, maybe, like the, the American sort of celebration memorial kind of concept. I, I find think... it a bit self-indulgent. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a degree of that, I think, and there's a degree, although a lot of these episodes are actually really good, the ones, the, the American ones about you know, people dying. But I think just as strange, we would feel uncomfortable mixing the character and the actor to that degree. Yeah, pro- pro- probably. Uh, so we're not going to show... We'll, uh, we'll, 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 yeah, just from, from, from the world. Global edition. But no, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll skip the new... But there's one clip I do want to play, though, which we, we will get to. Um, and this is from Sesame Street. And I'm sure there must be some people who remember this. Yeah, this was... Now, episode... I've even got the number here. Episode 1839, aired on November 24th, 1983, Thanksgiving Day, just to make it a bit more bleak, was an episode dedicated to Mr. Hooper. 
Um, now, I'm sure uh, many of you must have seen Sophie Street, but uh, Mr. Hooper ran the general store. He was a very good friend of Big Bird's. Uh, you might know it now as Hooper's Store. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, now, actor Will Lee, who played Mr. Hooper, died in 82, and the show wasn't sure whether to address it or ignore it or say that he'd moved to Florida, which apparently is the American version of Queensland. <laughs> and they consulted child psychologists. They decided they were going to address it directly. And uh, it was interesting. Some of the things they got told was that they should be upfront. They shouldn't use any euphemisms for it. They should say he was dead. Uh, they were told not to say he died because he was old, because parents are old to children. Not to say he died because he got sick, because kids get sick all the time. Uh, and the cause of his death is actually never mentioned either. But it's just really interesting and, and so bold, I think, of this show to do this for, for the audience it was for. So this is a, it's a longish clip, but let's see uh, from this episode from Thanksgiving Day 1983. And if none of you got a bit teary, then you're all monsters. <laughs> um, so... Who explains to Big Bird that memories also fade, and then... Uh... Oh, really? I know, it's so harsh! Um, uh, I no, it's, it's, so, I, it's beautiful. I mentioned before that episode played on Thanksgiving, which I, I thought sounded a bit brutal, but it, it turned out that was also very carefully thought through. And Loretta Long, who played Susan, said in an interview, it was not a Thanksgiving holiday because there would be a lot of adults in the house to help the children. It's very clever. Also, um, according to Muppet Wiki, that particular episode was brought to you by the letters J, M, and the number five. And I think it's quite good they didn't pull their sponsorship since it was such strong subject matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Big Bird, though, great sketch artist. Oh, yeah, and, and that sketch apparently then hung in Mr. Lo- Hooper's store for, uh, for oh. the traditional show. Yeah. Oh, so, that there makes go. Sense. so, occasionally things go wrong and you can actually get something possibly quite important out of them. Is, is now the time that we can go back to replacing people? Is it about Gordon? It's not, it's not about Gordon. Do you know there were three Gordons? There were three Gordons. Really? That blew my mind. Were they all the men from Hot Chocolate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was like a really minor regeneration. <laughs> Still a hot black dude. Yeah. <laughs> so go on, you were going to say. Because we, we talked about uh, people going... Characters being replaced by by other actors, but there's clearly an oversight, a huge oversight there. Man, it's oh, oh no, 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 no! Hang on, stop, what? stop, stop! You, no, you, oh, you're jumping ahead. You're I've jumping ahead. ahead. Sorry, you're the um, one with the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because so, I, well, I was going to say before we before we we're going to the end, but I, I said so many the wrong things can become right. Uh, there's also a whole bunch of wrong stuff we're just not going to get time to. Um, here's a little montage of some terrible wrong things we won't be talking about. Oh, it's not good. Who's going to tell just, me how just, memories fade? Uh, hang on, just just, <laughs> and, uh, just very quickly for the audience, um, you did see seven terrible shows there. Can we call them out? What did you recognise? Cop Rock, yes. No one else. Think like a cat. Think like a cat. Like, which I thought you were, I thought you'd made that up. I hadn't made that up. That's from GSN, the Game Show Network. Uh, <laughs> anyone? Anyone? Can anyone work out which one was Heil Honey? I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> One episode. Um, there was uh, Naked News Mail, the Mail Edition. They've discontinued that since 2007. But yes, the Naked News, which airs in some areas of Canada. Is um, um, superperherogay.blogspot.com still there? That, that's the only clip I could find right. <laughs> that hadn't been taken down. Um, we also saw a clip from Turn On, which was a rip-off of uh, Laugh-In and lasted half an episode on a whole bunch of, uh, of, of stations in 1969. What was um, the weird balloon rabbit that, that's on wheels? Don't Scare the Hare, in which you have to, uh, in which adults have to complete a number of pointless tasks to not frighten a terrible robot. <laughs> and, of course, at the end there, the Star Wars holiday special, uh, in which Princess Leia is clearly off her tits. Which is <laughs> crazy. crazy. So, so, yeah, we won't be... Also, I wanted to include, but couldn't find, a clip of uh, Who's Your Daddy, which was a 2005 Fox Network reality show in which a woman is introduced to eight men, one of which is her biological father she's never met. If she picks the right one, she wins $100,000. But... Uh, Strangely enough, can't find that anymore. Um, it was art, because in other countries it was, my mum, what a slut. <laughs> yeah, there is, there is actually, I found one clip from it, which is one of the actors who was hired to go, hey, I really want $100,000 from my appearance in the show, aren't I great? And people going, you were a monster. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, and I really want to show a clip from Naked Jungle, which was a, a nude version of It's a Knockout in the UK, um, which I actually have on the computer. I managed to download it, my, my computer refused to render it into that clip. It just point blank said no. <laughs> I, I think it did this. 
It did. It did. So, the, you know, those are different types of wrongs we won't be looking at. But you want but to talk about replicants. I did. I do want to talk about replicants. Because uh, can anyone think of a situation, a, a fairly famous show, where a character has been replaced by another actor? I'm thinking uh, about Doctor in Doctor Who. This, this isn't exactly the replacing. I mean, it's not like. Well, it is. It's not like the I new think, Becky, is it? It's not. That, so you've got you've got you've got uh, William Hartnell, Patrick. They've all got real names, but I just know them as the old one, Fancy Pants, the Scarecrow, Jelly Beans. All creatures great and small. The bad doctor and the old doctor. The to last be, doctor. To, to be fair, though, it's not like they tried to sneak one in without us noticing. Like, you are meant to notice that they've changed actor. It's not like they've just put someone who looks a little bit like them in a wig. Apart from that, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to be fair, you're, you're picking that from the five doctors when all the publicity shots have a wax figure of Tom Baker in them, which I think is kind of... Yeah, but that no one could actually tell the difference. <laughs> now, the, so. the reason we bring up Doctor Who, though, of course, this is... A perfect example of where going wrong is the rightest thing that could have happened to the show. Uh, regeneration wasn't a concept ever in, in the original you know, version of Doctor Who. It only happened because William Hartnell, uh, pictured here in black and white, um, was, well, he was... There, there are many ways we can put this. He was unwell. That, that's one of the big ones. He had um, a tear sclerosis. He was grumpily unwell. He, he was grumpy unwell. He couldn't remember lines anymore. Um, he did tend to wander into things. He was a bit of a racist. And um, apparently working with him was becoming more and more of a... What's that word? Nightmare? Mm. Yeah. And so the BBC wanted to replace him but keep the show going because Doctor Who was very popular and, and had been very successful. Um, they actually... And look, there are different versions of this. We, we probably won't ever know what the true story is. But there is... Story, the Celestial Toymaker was a story towards his end in which for one episode he's made invisible and then made visible again. It is actually thought he was meant to be made visible as a different actor and that was going to be the way to swap him out. But um, accidentally his contract got renewed. There's <laughs> another... That, I swear, is, is often said as a true story. Um, there was another story called The Savages in which the Doctor's essence is transferred into another actor uh, who then acts like the Doctor. Clearly, a sort of test run to see if they could the make Sarga that Bert, work. That was, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. essence is transferred. Um, and then finally, they just had that idea of he would just regenerate. It wouldn't be hugely explained at the time. It would just be a thing that happened. But that desperation—that's what it is—complete desperation—suddenly made the show could go forever. Because any of those other ones, transferring the essence or Celestial Toy Maker, that makes it awkward if you need to do it again. Yeah, you, know, you might get away with it once, but you're not going to get away with it for 50 years. Yeah, oh, the doctor's doing his invisible trick again. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that's not going to happen. But this, this idea of, well, he can just be... He, he just when, Whenever he dies, he just turns into another adult and, and just becomes another adult because that's what people from Gallifrey do. Do. That's what they do. And this is the thing, because every show... We're not talking you know, shows that have gone wrong, but in many ways... It's, what they're doing is coping with adversity. They're reacting to what's happening around them. Often it makes them better. It makes them better shows. And every show is in its own way a triumph because there are so many things that can go wrong at every step. The fact that a show exists, even if it's chances, you know, even it's if it's super train, you know, it's, the fact that these exist is a triumph in itself. So to end, we would like to show you the very first regeneration from Doctor Who followed by the most recent regeneration from Doctor Who. They're very similar. They're very, very Honestly. similar. It's a matter of taste which one really, you want. This is really more like a game show spot the differences. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. See if you can spot them. So, uh, and that's, that's, that's it. That's where TV goes wrong. That's, that's, that's it. Enjoy. And that's why the BBC has no money anymore. <laughs> uh, that's really... That's, that's, I've that's not it. seen that before. That's terrible. Yeah, I cut that the whingy really, bit off the front too. Really? I don't want to go. Oh, shut oh, up. God. <laughs> that first one was so stylish and just... A little bit of lighting, a little bit of... Yeah. Uh, turns out that when uh, the first Doctor dies, he makes a TARDIS noise. Yeah. Who knew? In colour, you get a choir. Anyway, that, that's it. That, basically, that's the show. It's ended. That's, we're all, that's we're it. all, we're all uh, done now. Uh, there is questions, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and there's a microphone and stuff. Any questions, comments? Yeah, there, there is... Uh, there is Egmont, you felt the... Egmont has a... Uh, Egmont, now Taranaki, has a uh, microphone. Has a microphone. Any questions, any comments? Great, because we've really run over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No. Oh, yes, yes, one, one up the front. No, Just I would have expected you to mention one, uh, two, one and a half, two and a half men, because I think 
But it hasn't really gone wrong. It's, it's, no, no, it's it was always shit. <laughs> yeah, always yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think uh, two and a half minutes continued a certain plateau that we would expect from it. Yeah, yeah, and continues to uh, be. So great. All right, well, that's all the loose ends. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much to everybody, which includes you, Dags, up in the uh, up in the booth. He's yeah, done yeah. great work and uh, good stuff with us being prima donnas. Thank you very much for coming. Please don't forget to fill out the uh, the, the forms. Uh, Ted Bailey reads every single one of them. But still exit that way, Egmont. Is that what we're saying? It, no. Oh, oh, you can exit this way now. To, oh, and now, exciting. because you've lasted the whole time, you get to exit that way. All right. Enjoy that. Thank, Thank you. you. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to Acme Channel and the Acme website.